Listener Production. Hi, I'm Rosie Waterland. This is Mum Says My Memoir Is a Lie. You will get your first period and it won't be the only blood you have to deal with that year. There was red stuff on Rosie's undies this morning, but you don't want to know about secret women's business. That was the moment I knew I had been right about Taylor's birth being a huge mistake. Not only did she ruin my life by taking away my elite status as the youngest and therefore most loved child, but now she had betrayed me by telling everyone on the bus I wasn't at school because I had started bleeding out of my vagina. My best friend called me to break the bad news. It was the year 2000, which meant we only had one phone and it was in the kitchen. So I had to process word of Taylor's betrayal while surrounded by family. It took every ounce of strength I had not to lure the little bitch over with the promise of a lolly and then bash her in the side of the head. Family, of course, had changed a lot by that point. Mum was on one of the best pretty woman streaks of her damn life. After picking us up from foster care a few years earlier and taking us to live with Brian, the homeowner, she had actually grown and pushed out a whole new human, a girl called Isabella. And although it didn't look like marriage was on the cards for mum and Brian, having a baby together meant things were definitely serious. Well, as serious as they could be between a man who met a woman with a serious alcohol addiction while all of her kids were being cared for by the state. Not exactly a conventional love story, but a love story all the same. So now there were four of us, four girls with three different dads, all born to Lisa. Rhiannon was 16, I was 13, Taylor was six, and Bella was two. We all lived together with mum and Brian in the house he owned in the Blue Mountains, which, although falling apart, he owned. We lived in a house that we owned, on a street with no Houso families. We felt like queens, and the house was positioned just at the right spot on the mountain, so it had a view that stretched all the way to Sydney. I would look down over the lights while doing the dishes some nights, only after complaining for hours that forcing me to do the dishes was a crime on par with genocide, and think about how one day I was going to rule the city, striding around with my Oscar in hand and walking into restaurants where my usual table was ready for me in the back. Then Brian would come and pour his stinky, dirty bong water into the sink and snap me right back to reality. Brian was actually great. A massive pot smoker, yes, but he was the first of mum's many boyfriends who had made me feel like being smart was a good thing. It didn't matter to him that I wasn't cool or beautiful like Rhiannon, and he respected me for liking books and TV and would let me stay up late to watch Seinfeld. I liked him a lot, but being mum's Richard Gere of the moment wasn't easy, and I don't think life with Lisa and three ready-made daughters plus their own daughter had been quite what he was expecting. It kind of taken him long to realise that he couldn't change her. She never stopped drinking and continued to take off at will. In the years since leaving the foster home and going to live with him and mum, my sisters and I had been taken away and returned a few more times. I spent my first few years of high school wondering which family member I'd be shipped off to to live with next week, just hoping to make it through the weekend without mum disappearing or getting hammered or attempting suicide for the 29th time. My friends understood that if I didn't turn up at school for a few days, it probably just meant my mum had gotten really drunk and now I was staying with my uncle in Sydney, or with Brian's family on the Central Coast, or with my grandma in Balmain, or with whoever in any place. Not knowing where anyone in our family was going to be from one day to the next had pretty much become the norm. 
But that was clearly not what Brian had thought he was signing on for when he met a pretty nurse called Lisa, who had a bit of a drinking problem that she was working hard to fix so she could get her daughters back. Now he'd been living with Lisa for four years, and not only did she still drink heavily, but she kept losing her daughters like they were car keys. Not exactly the fairy tale he'd had in mind. He resented her, she resented him, and they fought like nothing I had ever seen before. Our house was constantly filled with the sound of screaming and the smell of more than a little pot smoke. The house was literally a giant Dutch oven. I had to have been inadvertently stoned 90% of the time. Maybe that's why I thought Friends was funny at the time. It was an incredibly dysfunctional household and one that I expected to implode at any moment. But I was in year nine and had just found out that my little sister had told everyone about my first period. An unstable home that smelled like pot and a bipolar alcoholic mother were the least of my worries. The actual first gush had taken place the night before in my sleep, thank Oprah. Having your first period arrive during the night is like winning the menstrual lottery. I cannot describe the relief I felt when I realized it had happened in the privacy of my bed and not while I was in the middle of eating a sandwich on the playground. You see, from about the age of nine, girls literally spend every waking hour knowing that at some point soon, a massive amount of blood is going to start gushing out of their special place, but they have no idea when and they have no idea where they'll be. All you know is that a blood explosion is definitely coming, but you have no control over it. It's like having a time bomb on your fanny, and that's a lot of pressure for a young lady. So, although devastated that I now had to deal with my monthly, I was relieved that my undies had at least filled with blood for the first time in private. I sat on the toilet for about 10 minutes, staring at my bloody knickers, not quite sure what to do. I knew what periods were. Mum had done the responsible thing a few years earlier by sitting Rhiannon and I down on the couch, leaving a book in front of us called Every Girl, and then promptly leaving the room. It was filled with lots of diagrams of naked bodies and the reproductive system and had been the catalyst for my fear of erupting with blood at any waking moment. Rhiannon and I both acted like we thought the book was hilarious, but would then catch each other reading its pages in earnest when we thought nobody was looking. Mum had done the same thing when pesky questions about where babies come from kept popping up. One day, a horrifying book called A Baby is Born suddenly appeared in the living room. It was filled with graphic photos of hairy heads coming out of vaginas and women screaming in pain. All A Baby is Born really taught me is that a baby is born because a woman must have done something awful in a past life. Anyway, I knew that I was going to need some kind of adult lady nappy called a pad. I also knew that I didn't have access to a pad or money to buy pads, so I was going to have to break the news to my mum that I had A, become a woman, and B, ruined my mattress. I took my undies off and headed to her room. Mum, I said, handing her my scrunched up ball of blood knickers, I think I've got that thing. She held the evidence in her hand and smiled. Oh, um... It's okay, darling, she said, putting her arm around me. We'll take care of it. Why don't you take a shower and I'll put these in the wash, okay? It was just as I was contemplating how to parlay this turn of events into a day off school when Taylor, that adorable, rambunctious butterball whom I wanted to kill, came barging into the bedroom. Put what in the wash? What's that? What's that red stuff? Are they Rosie's undies? Why is there red stuff on Rosie's undies? Don't worry about it, Taylor, my mum snapped, pushing her out of the room. It's secret women's business. With that, I took a shower and stayed in there a while, completely mesmerised by how much blood could be coming out of my body without resulting in my immediate death. I was successful in scoring the day of school, so Taylor caught the bus on her own that day. There were some minor humiliations in the next few hours. 
Mum called Brian on his way home from a night nursing shift and asked him to buy me pads. Hey, Rosie, he said as he threw the packet at me like it was a basketball. Heads up. My mum's boyfriend had just bought me maxi pads in bulk. I was truly a woman. There was no talk of tampons. In fact, I wouldn't figure out how to use those things for at least a few years. But all things considered, the whole event had gone quite well. It had come during the night, I'd had the day off school, and my mum said we could have Chinese for dinner. Then I got the phone call from my best friend. So, um, she said very hesitantly, on the bus today, Taylor kind of told everyone why you were away. Yes, so I got sick. Who cares? I could feel a little panic rising in my chest. Yeah, I know you got your period. My stomach dropped as low as my blood-soaked vagina. What? Well, everyone was asking Taylor where you were, and I think she didn't really understand, and she was really just trying to be helpful. What did she say? She said, there was red stuff on Rosie's undies this morning, but you don't want to know about secret women's business. And who did she say it to? Um, everyone. The next day, not only did I have to endure the indignity of walking around in public with an adult nappy in my pants for the first time, I had to deal with every person on the bus asking me how my secret women's business was going. I ultimately didn't take revenge on Taylor. I tried to take the high road by reminding myself that she was only in kindergarten and knew not what she did, but I did secretly hope that when her time eventually came, she'd be in a very public place wearing white pants. As traumatic as it was to have everybody know about my secret women's business, Taylor's leaking the details of my first leak wasn't the worst blood-related incident I would have to deal with that year. I suppose, given that mum had chased her last husband around with a butcher's knife, I should have been expecting her relationship with Brian to soon reach some kind of glorious, violent crescendo. Just like Scott the taxi driver, John the navy man, and Joe the removalist before him, Brian the homeowner was reaching the end of his turn as mum's Richard Gere and their final scene together was going to be memorable. I got the call on the night of the Sydney Olympics opening ceremony. Australia lost its collective mind during that time. There was not a surface in our country that wasn't covered in some kind of green and yellow paint or a person who didn't have a temporary Southern Cross tattoo. I had never really been a sport person, but I was intrigued enough by my homeland's mass hysteria that I wanted to at least see if we would embarrass ourselves during the game's opener. I was personally hoping for some kind of disaster involving a giant inflatable kangaroo or maybe even the misspelling of G'day. It was also, if I'm being perfectly honest, just something to do. Although I was a teenager by that point, things hadn't really changed for me when it came to my cool factor and watching TV at my friend's house with her parents was the best I could hope for on a Friday night. Rhiannon and I had basically grown into more exaggerated versions of what we had been as kids. She was still effortlessly cool and I was still the opposite of that. She had turned into a bit of a bad girl, still not giving a fuck what adults thought of her, whereas I entered story writing competitions and finished my homework three days early just to make sure every adult on earth thought I was perfect. I didn't understand her. Adults had been rejecting us our whole lives. Why wouldn't you do everything you could to impress them? Rhiannon and her friends would dress in tight skirts from Supre and stay out late smoking in the park while I was at home in my PJs watching Robin Williams stand-up specials on TV and trying to do that Titanic sex hand thing on my bedroom window. She would listen to Tupac on full blast and burst out laughing when I would bang on the wall because I was trying to read. When Tupac died, she and all her friends sat around in their marijuana leaf t-shirts holding hands and crying. I just rolled my eyes and went back to thinking about how I could get cast on a TV show. 
The thing that impressed me most about Rhiannon, though, was that she had boyfriends. In fact, I was fairly certain she was even having SEX. I couldn't even work out how to get a tampon into my vagina, let alone a penis. Even the idea of kissing a boy sent me into waves of panic. In about year seven, I had developed a crush on a boy called Stephen, and I may or may not have practiced kissing him on Taylor's baby born. A disturbing image, I know, but it just had a more realistic mouse situation than my teddy did. Considering I wasn't one of those cool girls who knew all the words to the talking part at the beginning of that Never Ever song by All Saints, I assumed that me imagining Stephen's face while I made out with my toys was as far as my crush was going to go. But then he gave me a note. Well, technically his friend passed my friend Melissa a note on his behalf and then she passed it to me, but that was just the way things worked in Year 7. It said, Dear Rosanna, I like you. Will you go out with me, Stephen? First of all, my name doesn't have an E in it, but I considered it a glorious poem on par with Shakespeare nonetheless. I had the chance to begin an epic romance with Stephen that would no doubt involve lots of hand-holding and lips-only kissing, and that made me panic. I was too embarrassed to admit that I liked him because I'd only ever practiced kissing on toys and had zero idea how to handle a real human face. So when Stephen's friend asked me if I'd got the note, while Stephen stood hopefully and painfully to the side, I said that I had but that I had thrown it away. Then I spent years thinking that if I had just gone for it, Stephen and I would have had one of the great romances of our time, like Brittany and Justin or Oprah and Gail. It was certainly a situation that Rhiannon would have handled with a lot more grace, or at least a lot more passion. She just naturally understood certain parts of life that remained a mystery to me. Back at my exciting night in, the opening ceremony had just started when Rhiannon called me at my friend's house. Rosie, something bad has happened. You need to go to the house and make sure Brian doesn't smash the TV. What? I said. The TV? Where are you? I'm at the hospital with mum. Look, you're at Alicia's, right? Ask her mum to drive you home right now. You need to go inside and lock the door and don't let anybody in. I have to go. Then she hung up. My brain was still catching up with her first sentence and the conversation was already over. Mum, hospital, protect the TV. Protect the TV? Mum was in hospital? I had no idea which hospital, so I couldn't call back. I just had to follow the instructions. Go home, lock the door, protect the TV. Alicia's mom dropped me off and didn't ask any questions. The fact I constantly smelled like pot meant she understood things were a little different at my house and was usually kind enough not to pry. I opened the front door to find an empty house that looked like a crime scene. There was blood everywhere. On the walls, on the carpet... It was like someone had taken a water pistol filled with red paint and shot up everything. Furniture was knocked over. Glass was smashed. Lock the door. Protect the TV. Lock the door. Protect the TV. Looking around the blood-soaked living room, I couldn't understand why the TV was a top priority at that point. Something had clearly gone terribly wrong. I was worried that my mum was dead and there was more blood in my house than I could expect to see in a lifetime of periods. Who gave a fuck about the TV? For the first time in years, I started to feel the toxic butterflies take over my body again. I ran to the bathroom and was about to vomit when I realised the bathroom was the worst of all. There was blood all over the toilet seat. There were puddles of it on the ground. Solid, coagulated bits that looked like grape jelly were stuck on the side of the bath. As with so many times before, I froze. I stood there in silence for a long time. I just didn't know what to do. I couldn't stop staring at all the blood, so I just started walking round and round the house, trying to imagine scenarios that would explain the massive volume of it. 
part of me really hoped Taylor was getting what she deserved and not only had her first period come at six years of age, but it had obviously been the most epic period anyone had ever seen. Everyone would come home the next morning and Taylor would be forced to wear a maxi 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 pad every day for the rest of her life. Then we'd all laugh and laugh that I had ever thought something bad had happened and Rhiannon would say something about a band I'd never heard of and I'd say something about a book she'd never heard of and everything would go back to normal. I sat on the couch for a while in the empty house covered in blood. I figured protecting the TV meant at least looking at it. But even I, only 13 and possibly television's biggest fan, couldn't sit and watch a TV when there was blood on the wall behind it. I had my own TV in my room and I just wanted to go in there and lock the door and watch the opening ceremony and pretend like the house was filled with people and not blood. So I went to the kitchen, made myself a bowl of Rosie's chicken soup and took it to my bedroom. Then I locked the door and watched the opening ceremony by myself, waiting for someone to come home. In the morning, Rhiannon finally arrived at the house and told me that during a fight with Brian, Mum had kicked the glass cabinet and cut a tendon in her ankle, which was why blood had sprayed everywhere. It seemed like such an anticlimactic explanation. I had spent the night imagining beheadings and chainsaw accidents, and now I was being told it was just a cut on a foot. I was a little pissed off, to be honest. I had come home to a house covered in blood, locked myself in my room, petrified, and I didn't even get an awesome story out of it. Something like, I spent the night alone in a house full of blood because my mum sliced off her left boob after accidentally falling on an axe. No, I got cut foot. Apparently I had been instructed to rush home because the relationship was definitely over, and since mum had paid a lot of money for the TV in the living room, she was worried Brian would tip it over or something. I couldn't believe I had spent the night alone in that house because mum was worried the TV would get smashed. And what was the point of even owning a massive TV if we had nowhere to go? It was Brian's house. He was Brian the homeowner. If their relationship was over, then we would be the ones who would have to leave. Rhiannon, always independent, always so sure of herself, moved out on her own. Brian got custody of Isabella, and I went from having my younger sister sneak into my bed to snuggle with me every night to not seeing her for another 10 years. Taylor and I stayed with mum, who, after finally finishing one of her longest shifts so far, would need to find her new Richard gear fast. (sighs) Mum, that was scary. All that blood. Do you remember how much blood there was? Would have been home. No, he wasn't. All I, had, all I had to do, I got admitted to, um, I didn't even go overnight. I came home later with Rhiannon. Rhiannon was with me. No, 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 no. Yes, she was. I spent the entire night in that house by myself. There was no one there. Well, I didn't stay in hospital. I did come home. Well, I remember you coming home in the morning, but there was no, no one there. I came the night. home. I came home the no, same night. No, disagree. I was in no, hospital. No, I was there all night by myself. I was in the emergency room. I had it. I had a nicked artery in my leg. I never did anything to my tendon. Well, I just assumed it was a tendon. No, just the thing that makes lots it was of blood a nicked artery, and they, and of course, all they did was patch me up. And I went home. No, so I don't know why you're carrying on about that. And you were never taken off me several times while we lived at that house. Ah, oh, excuse me. It happened once. I went to live with Uncle in year seven. I had to go to that, that school was in at Manly. The end. And that was at the end of our time at that house. No, that was when I was in year seven, Mum. And this crap you keep on going on about 
Richard Gere and all this pretty woman bullshit. <laughs> you know, he was when I met him, he was about to lose his house. We re- refinanced together. Wow, this is the angriest you've been in the whole podcast. Because man. it's not true what you're saying. What's not true? Richard Gibb. Bullshit oh, that's just a women. stupid joke well, that I'm runs sick, throughout well, I'm the book. I'm sick of hearing that. Okay, sorry. So anyway, I was I came home that night. Okay, no, and you didn't. They, and then my whole foot was turning bruised oh and and uh, black, and I had to go for an ultrasound, and then I had to go to an European hospital for surgery to ligate my artery. So okay. I wouldn't have been home after I went back to the hospital because my whole foot turned blue from the artery. Being okay, nicked. well, all I'm saying is you guys called me, well, Rhiannon called me, told me to rush home, which I did. The house was covered in blood. It wouldn't have been, it wasn't covered in blood. There was some blood on the carpet. Oh I my remember. God, Mom, I remember. I remember what of, happened to my foot. This is one foot. of the most traumatic, vivid memories I have is the house being covered in blood. It was all over the living well, room. Clearly, I was still alive because Rhiannon rang you. I didn't, like, I didn't know. All she said was, Mum's in hospital, go home and protect the TV. I've got to go. Yeah, so obviously, I was, I was alive. Why are you, like, denying that this was, like, a really. Traumatic well, thing you, that I well, had to yeah, go through. You, you can say that it was traumatic. I'm sorry. It was an accident. I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying it was really scary. Yeah, I know. And it sounds, when you and I was, it in the book, it does. It sounds very scary. And I apologise. Um, and you didn't come home that night. Well, I did. Oh I'm apologising. Well, we're never going to agree on well, this. Well, tell you the truth, Rosie. I had nowhere else to go, so I don't know where I was because I didn't stay in hospital. I was with Rhiannon and I came home. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Okay? I woke up in the morning and there was no one there still. Oh, where was it? It was his house, as you say. I don't know where he'd been, but the next morning he was the first one well, to Well, that's come right. Home. Exactly. You don't know anything except for what. You saw. Yeah, but you're denying it's always what, from your point of view. You're because, denying I mean, what even what I saw. About. I'm not denying what you saw. Yes, you are. You, you saw saying... blood. You saw blood everywhere. There was some blood in the bathroom because I remember taking off my boot because I had on, had on ankle boots and I took off the boot and it relieved the pressure on my artery and there was small sprays of blood on the tiles Sprays, in yes. the, yeah, small, small. And there, I didn't go bleed to death. There was like these big, like coagulated globs. <clears throat> anyway, it was, it, uh, yeah, well, you found out pretty soon that it wasn't a major problem. The next morning. But you'd already spoken to Rhiannon, so she told you everything was fine. Yeah, you're right. It wasn't that bad. Mm. You seem cranky. I'm not. This has made me cranky. <laughs> okay. Why is that? It's make always you good. Laugh? To, it's always good to have a bit of emotion running through things, isn't it? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> you actually handled my first period really well. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember well, that I was, morning? I was. Yeah. Because I, I didn't want it to be like me, you know. What so happened? I made sure that. 
What happened when Things you got totally yours? Things were totally different. No big deal. You know what I mean? I kept it from my mother for a year and a half. How did you? I hid it from her because I she'd made me feel so exquisitely uncomfortable. I didn't want to tell her. So I used to have to save up my money Aww, and go and buy pads and all the rest of it. That's so sad. So it was very hard. And then, right, without trying to um, have any kind of signs that I'd have my had my period, I hid my underpants that might have been, you know, had the, stained the, or whatever. They were stained. I made sure I wa- hand washed them all just mm. to completely hide it from my mother. How old were you? Twelve and a half. Shit, that's young. No, no, that's average. No, I mean that's young to have to do all that. Oh, not really. No. So anyway. Um, yeah, I hid it from her for a year and a half until she found a pair of underpants or something that I had. Oh, hadn't. my God, what did she do? Oh, well, she told Dad and she told the boys and, like, exactly what I thought, she, what, what I thought she'd do. Why would she tell everyone? <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I didn't want to happen, so that was why I was hiding it. Did she at least start buying the pads after that? Yeah, of course she did. Um, but anyway, no, so I didn't want it to be like that for you. Because <laughs> Rhiannon didn't tell you, did she? That hey? she? Rhiannon told me that when she got her period, she just went and bought she tampons was with Kate. herself. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, she was with Kate. Oh. oh I didn't know she got her period when she was with Kate. Mm. She didn't tell me. Kate told me. <laughs> I remember I was waiting for it to come for so long because I was 14. Yeah. I, I, I got it really late. Yeah, that's good. Um, <laughs> I think because I was like. I would like that. Yeah, but. And so I was panicking. Like I knew it was going to be coming. I knew it had to be coming that year. Like I yeah. was always worried about it. Yeah. And then I just remember seeing my undies on the toilet and I was like, oh, God, I'm going to have to go tell mom. Like I was so embarrassed. And I couldn't even say the word. I just gave you my undies and said I had that thing. <laughs> and you were pretty good about it, though. Yeah. And then, yeah, you let me take the day off school and then fucking Taylor told everyone on the bus. Oh, that would have been. Oh Mom, it was gosh, bad. The next day been. it was bad. Everyone on the bus was asking me about my secret women's business. That would have been awful. And also, you knew that she'd already told yeah, me. Yeah, I knew it was coming. Before you got on the bus. It I would have been different if you didn't know and you just got on the bus and you're unprepared, but you oh would have already known. How? Bloody oh, wow. But then I feel bad because she ended up getting hers really early, so that was her payback. Taylor got her period in year five. Yeah, that's... Very early. I know. Terrible. Was I the only daughter that got her period with you around? Because Taylor was in foster care, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah, you were. And Bella was with her dad. Yeah, you were. Ah, so I was the only one. Yeah, so you've got to be like laid back about it, you know what I mean? You were very laid back about it. I mean, it is. It's just part of your life. That's that's it. Crappy part of your life. Mm. I was mortified, though, that. Uh, you didn't want to drive to the shop, so you called and asked him to get um, pads. <laughs> and then he came into my room and threw them at me. Oh, Rosie. He's a nurse. I That's know. That's what you always say. He's a nurse. Embarrassing. <laughs> and then, of course, I didn't use tampons for years because I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Pads all the way. And yeah. now I use those magic undies that just soaks period up. Oh, my God. 
He's had an advertisement. Do you want to get some more? Oh, uh-huh. yes. Actually, I do. Moddy Body Australia. I freaking love their undies so much. They're these magic undies. I don't know. Apparently, they're made out of like bamboo fibers or something. And you wear them and like. There you go, Rosie. There's your first sponsor. Oh, that's my dream. That is my dream. It's I pretty w- amazing. It is. Actually, you just wear them. Even thought of it. You just wear them and you don't yeah, need a powder or tampon or anything and it just soaks it all up. Yeah, but I think a lot of people would just think, how can that work? That is impossible. That's what I thought, but it does. I and don't think it would, could work for everybody. Why not? I, like, I get pretty heavy flow sometimes. Works for me. Yeah, but still, they're quite expensive, so people have got to, like, really trust them. I feel really sorry for Jamie Before. and Felix, our two producers. <laughs> Before <laughs> they buy to this them. Conversation. Because they are quite expensive, aren't they? They're very, they're expensive, but the we're thing is... if they last your exactly. lifetime of periods. <laughs> exactly. Like, you wear, like, I wear, like, one, when I have my period, I wear one pair. You're all right. You don't have to go in it like No, it. Like, I freaking love these undies no, so much. you're talking about your book. I love these undies so much and I'll tell you why because like if I if they had been around when I got my period my life would have been so much easier. Yeah, but you pads know, are the worst and you feel like you're walking around with a giant nappy. It's like pretty gross out washing them. That's what upsets me about the whole this Moby Boby. What are they called? Moby Moddy, Moddy Body. Moddy Body. Um washing them. I don't like the idea of that. I don't know. I just you just put them in the washing machine. You want to be able to dry them too in the dryer because you might need another pair really quick. Well, yeah, I've got a few You'd pairs. You'd need quite a few pairs, wouldn't you? I do one in the day, one at night. <laughs> where are they made again? In Australia, I don't know. Where. <gasps> in Australia? Yeah, it's Australian. Oh, okay, then. all right. You're not allowed to talk anymore about this. Sorry. <laughs> my, my enthusiasm for these undies knows no bounds. You might get more money from Carefree or something like that. Carefree. Look at you. You're a savvy business lady. <laughs> trying to hook us up with some sponsors. I'm not. Carefree, uh, email Lisa. <laughs> she wants to make a deal. <laughs> she wants to make some moolah. <laughs> moolah. Moolah. Dollars. Moolah. Dosh. Dollar dollar bills. Dosh. Um, I went to live with Uncle in year seven. I don't know if you remember. No. Yeah, I did. I went to a whole other school in Manly for like quite a while. And then I also went to live with, uh, uh, some of his family for a while on the central coast. I was homeschooled for a whole term. I remember that. That was when he took you with him. So there that were happened, a couple times that we that went. That happened quite a few Weeks later, I think. He knew our relationship was going downhill rapidly. Mm. And he actually warned me. He said to me, Lisa, I helped you get your children back and I'm going to have you lose your children again. He actually said that to me, you know. And the first opportunity he had of that, he took it and that was it. Well, I went with him. I mean, I was working. I'd gone back to work after having Isabella. I I mean, I, I... Rarely drank. No, Mum, you did No, no, I did not. I hardly ever drank. 
and I was working at um, Morven Gardens, that new facility at Lura. Yeah, I was the evening manage, you know, the evening manager. I mean, I was working like seven, I think seven days a fortnight, mm. plus caring for you know four four children and juggling everything. Mm. You know what I mean? Things were still bad though. Oh, things were just getting worse and worse. Yeah. He and was, he was we, absolutely no help to me at all, especially with Bella. I mean, I remember coming home once. I mean, I'd work till 11 o'clock at night and I'd come drive back from Laura and I remember pulling up and it was a dark street mm. where we lived. Well, yeah, it was like the middle of the bush. And, um, yeah, it was actually because there were all vacant lots then. Mm. And um, I remember coming home, and now you were sitting underneath a streetlight reading. He'd kicked you out because you wouldn't do the dishes. <laughs> oh my God, did he cop it from me? So I'm such a dog. I, I got, got kicked out of the house, and I sat under a streetlight and read a book. Yeah, and you waited for me to come home. <laughs> you, you knew I was going to come home. Yeah, and I was just forever intervening and protecting you and. Rhiannon and Taylor from who you call Brian. In the book, It yeah. was never ending. I really quite liked him at first because he was, like, cool, like, for me. I liked he him was, too. <laughs> he was smart and funny. He was. He, he still would be. And he just seemed to understand me and respect the qualities that I had more than he did Rhiannon's it's I felt like growing up everybody just always assumed Rhiannon was um going places and like it certainly wasn't from from you got you didn't get that from me no I know but I mean he was the first adult like he used to let me watch stand-up specials and he like taught me about the Lord of the Rings and like he thought it was cool that I was funny and he he was just he made me feel like who I was was not yeah. lame. I do have very ambivalent feelings about most of the adults in my childhood. Yes. Mm. I didn't see Bella after that for such a long time. Yeah, he was punishing us. and He was especially punishing me. It was really upsetting. He did anything to stop us from having contact with her. And the only reason I even saw Bella again was Facebook. I found her on Facebook. Mm-hmm years later and messaged her and at first she was scared to even talk to me like she didn't she was scared he would find out she was even talking to me so we had to message in secret all the time yeah, I think I remember that the first time I he even let me see her he drove her to I remember he drove her to Hornsby Westfield because they lived on the central coast and I caught the train in to Hornsby and he came he brought her over to me in the food court and said, okay, you can spend an hour together. And then he went off and I spent an hour with her and then he came back and took her again. Like he would only let me see her for an hour if he was there. And then slowly he would let me see her alone. Mm. And then eventually he let her catch a train down and stay overnight yeah. at my house. Yeah. And then she got old enough now that she just – can do whatever she wants. So oh, she's she twenty in August. She comes all the time now. Comes and stays with us. She even sat in on one of these sessions. Yeah, well, she did too. Yeah. I used to talk about this to people, and they always said to me, 
don't worry, Lisa, one day she'll be older and she'll be able to contact you. Mm. You know, and that's because it just broke my heart. Mm. Losing her and all that time that we've lost Mm. can't ever be made up. Yeah. I mean, you know, for Christ's sake, like she's 19 now. I didn't really start to see her, what, until two years ago? I would always get really sad thinking about, like, she would have had these three sisters and this mum, she was a toddler, and then they would have just been gone. Like, it would have been so confusing. I always wondered, like, how much she remembered, if she remembered us at all. Do you know what I mean? Because she was so little. Yeah, she was. There were a few times in between when he took her away, when he got full custody and when we found her again as when she was a teenager, yeah. that you saw that you saw her. You went and stayed with them a couple of times. Yeah, I did. I could just do a very small thing to offend and that's it. I wouldn't be able to see her for another year or two. He would I, just he would just stop me from seeing her. I do know though that a couple of times that you went there you got like drunk. When's that? Like a few of the times you got to see Isabella. Yeah, I think the last time. When she was like young. Like when I don't know how old she would have been. She told me she remembers. Yeah, that was the last time I saw her. Why do you think that is? Like you so desperately wanted her in your life and then like he would let you see her and you would go there and then like you got drunk. I don't know. I think I was sabotaging it, you know? Yeah. That's what I think. But it didn't happen on on every occasion. It was just one occasion. I think a lot of people thought maybe she was better off with her dad. I don't think so. Well, even I mean, even his father's wife didn't think it was a good idea. I remember Doc's the way he treated her. Doc's interviewed me and asked me who I thought Bella should live with. And I said that um even though you drank a lot, I still thought you were the better choice because you knew how to raise a baby because he hadn't ever really helped or done anything with Bella and he got really mad all the time. No, well, you know, they obviously took your opinion because the recommendation they made was that she be returned to me. Oh, really? Docs recommended that? Yes. They pulled out at the last minute because he'd got a barrister, Mm. not only a lawyer but a... Queen's Council or something rather like that. Mm-mm-mm. His father, I think, paid $40,000 towards legal fees to keep Isabella. Given, though, how your life went over the next, you know, from then until now, yep. do you still think she would have been better off with you? Yep. Because... There's all sorts of things that contribute to a person drinking, you know, and I think that was just the final straw for me to have a 14-month-old taken from me. Yeah. Like that was just the final straw and I just I just totally lost it after a while. Yeah. Especially after I went to court thinking that the recommendations were in place to Basically, I was expecting to take her home that day and then I was basically told 
the caseworker told me that they had to withdraw. All right. Well, thanks for talking about this one, Mum. In the next episode... No, I genu- genuinely liked the woman. Right. I did. I genuinely, I genuinely liked her. She was a very nice lady. She was nice, but she never. When she I, wasn't I just drunk, like to add to this conversation that you're again making out that I'm a using bitch. Oh no, I'm not. No, you are too. You were saying she never paid for the rent ever, and I object to you saying that and continuing to say that in that book. This is Mum Says My Memoir Is A Lie. Recording assistance by Felix Bray. Audio production by Nick Slater. Executive producer is Jamie Show. Listener.